0: Good evening, brethren. Thank you, Jen, but that was lovely. Let's begin in Romans 12, where Rachel was reading earlier. Well, I've been very well, I might add. Good job. Romans 12. And uh, for our guests, not the last sermon that Deacon Jen gave, but the sermon before. And, and the last sermon I have to apologize to the brethren. I didn't get to upload it. The server that we used to upload our sermons was down. Uh, So God willing, I'll upload it tonight. And that was a, a remarkable sermon. Hopefully everybody will take the opportunity to listen to it again. But the sermon that Deacon Jan gave before, he spoke about spiritual gifts and how we as a body in Christ, we all with the Holy Spirit manifest different gifts. And in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul lays out some of the gifts that the Spirit gives us, and that God gives us according to grace. But something that Deacon Jan brought out in that sermon, which I had never heard before, was that there are provisional gifts, and there are also universal gifts. So, So first of all, each of us individually have gifts, but there were also provisional gifts, gifts that were given at the beginning of the church, to help launch the church, which really aren't necessary today gave us an example of the gift of tongues, that today with the technology it's very easy to translate languages between people who speak different languages, so the gift of tongues is not required today the way it was earlier. But it's this concept of this notion of universal gifts that I wanted to look at today, that there are some gifts that all of us should have. Now it doesn't mean that we'll all have them equally. Some of us may display more of one gift than another, but it would be unreasonable, I think, to assume that, let's say, I have the gift of wisdom, and I'm the only one here who has wisdom, and all of you have the gift of service, so you should all serve me. Uh, That's not how the body works. So all of us should have wisdom. Maybe there are certain brethren that will have that gift a bit more pronounced than others, and all of us should have the gift of service. And again, maybe there are some brethren that will have that gift more pronounced than others, but we should all have it. Here at Romans 12, in verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So we all have different gifts, let's use them. And then verse 7, if service in our servant, he who teaches in his teaching, verse 8, he who exhorts in his exhortation. And then verse 9, let love be genuine. So this is something that we're all working on. I should mention to our guests as well, because of uh, Deacon Jan's sermon, we're all trying to figure out individually and collectively what our gifts are and how God has placed us in the body and how we're expected to serve. And here, in the context of figuring out our gifts and how we serve, Paul says that love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. That there's a brotherly affection that we need to have for one another. Once I know that you're a saint, you have God's spirit, you're part of this program that God has, there's a very deep and genuine love that we share with one another. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. So we're going out of our way to show honor to one another. Never flag in zeal, be aglow with spirit. I'm reading from the ESV. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And then verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. So once we hear that a saint is in need, we are happy to galvanize and help those saints that are in need. There's need all over the world, but especially those of the household of God, we galvanize to service. And then notice this. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality that this is a quality that we must have as believers, that we are given to hospitality. It's just the way we are. It's, It's like an addiction to hospitality. And this is what I want to speak to us about today, to individually ask ourselves, are we given to hospitality? Is that how somebody would describe us, that we are given to hospitality? It's just our nature, we go out of our way to be hospitable. Then notice it says, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice, and weep with them that weep. If we're not spending time together, if we're not really getting to know one another, how do we know who's rejoicing? How do we know who's weeping? There are brethren who weep every day. But when they come to services, they put a smile on their face. Fun on a suit. Put on some lipstick, or put on a suit, or put on some <laughs> lipstick, not both, <laughs> uh, and put on a smiling face. But their heart is broken, and no one is spending time with them, so nobody can weep with them. We have to spend time with each other, and outside of service, I think it's wonderful what happens here in Burlington between twelve and 3, Twelve and six, let's say. It's beautiful. But this is not all we're called to. We're called to spend time together beyond the South. And that requires hospitality. You know, when I came into the church, I could only describe myself as a weird single. You know, that's that's what I was. And I came in the uh, Worldwide Church of God in Ottawa, and it was a beautiful congregation. It was a wonderful congregation. And they were so hospitable. Every week, brethren were going to brethren talks. And every week, I was invited somewhere. And that made transitioning from the world into the church so much easier for me. I, I realized that came into a family. I take a look at Psalm 68. Look at Psalm 68. I think when I came in, I had this really long beard. I had a very stern look. Uh, I was the the sort of person that people would run from. And the Ottawa congregation ran toward me, and they embraced me, and started to rub off some of the the rough edges, and and I fit in. I I belong somewhere, and it was such a beautiful experience, and for me, it was my foundational experience in the church. And I just, looking back, I think the minister must have preached a lot on Because the brethren there were given to hospitality. And it just made for a beautiful culture. Psalm 68 in verse 4. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name as we were doing with Deacon Jan. Extol him that rides upon the heavens by his name Jah, And rejoice before him. He's a father to the fatherless. And the judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Notice this verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. I experienced this. I was on my own. And God set me in families. There were families that just adopted me and looked after me and and helped me become a part of the church. And that's God's doing, God's operation. So when we're being hospitable, we're like the arm of God. God wants to give somebody a hug, God wants to embrace somebody. He does it through his body, and we are that body. And God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. This word in the New Testament that is translated hospitality, it's the Greek word philozenos. And we would break it down as xenos. And you would recognize zenos from our English word as xenophobia. So xenophobia, xenophobia is a fear of strangers, fear of foreigners. So we have some guests with us today, if we were xenophobic we would be afraid of the guests and we would just cling to each other and ignore our guests. If we are xenos, we gravitate to guests, we welcome guests, we, we welcome strangers. It's really uh, hospitality is this love of strangers or fondness for guests. That's what hospitality is. So we can just ask ourselves, how fond are we of having guests? Not just here, in our homes. There's something very intimate about opening our homes to each other. And and I said homes, I didn't say houses. Houses don't matter. What matters is our home. And, and we could be living in a trailer park. If that's our home, that's our home. Who cares about the physical trappings. What matters is the intimacy that we can enjoy with each other at home, in each other's homes. And that's what philozinos philo means to be a lover of guests, bringing people into your home and, and creating those bonds. My first point on this topic of hospitality, brethren, is that a lack of hospitality is evidence. A spiritually immature church If we lack Hospitality It's because we're immature spiritually And let's look at this In 1 Corinthians 11 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 17 to the brethren in Corinth, says this, beginning in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, he's he's not proud of them, in fact, he's embarrassed by them, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse, can you imagine that? So brethren are getting together, and Paul is saying, it's a bad idea. It's actually, it's better if you are apart than for you to get together. That's how immature this church was. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you assemble as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Well, It's, it's like Paul is beside himself with disbelief. He's saying, I, I hear there's, and partly I believe it. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So Paul Campbell's even that the body of Christ is divided, but at the same time he's saying, you know what, it has to be this way. Because there are false brethren, and this process is going to weed out and identify the false brethren, and then we can see who is true. So it's, it's just got to be this way. Verse 20. When you meet together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. So they're coming together. They believe they're having the Lord's Supper. And Paul's saying, you're not doing that at all. You're doing something else. For in eating, and, and this again is the agape meal. So they would have a love feast prior to the Passover. So they would have a meal together. And then after the meal, they would have the Passover. So this is the agape meal that he's referring to. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. And one is hungry. And another is drunk. So in Corinth, there was a polarized congregation between rich and poor. And the rich, when they're coming together for the Lord's Supper, they could knock off early. They could start at 2 o'clock. And they're feasting and drinking. And by the time evening rolls around, they're full and they're drunk. That's when the poor people are showing up and there's no food for them. And Paul is saying, what is this? Are you one body, and you are actually eating and looking after yourself and neglecting the poor? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, looking after himself. And yet, one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? If if looking after your belly is that important to you, couldn't you do that privately? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? This is not a hospitable church. In fact, it's an inhospitable church. If you were poor and you came into Corinth, don't expect to be looked after. You're going to be shunned. You're going to have to look after yourself because the church was inhospitable. It's like, you know, if I'm um, someone of status, then I'm going to fellowship with somebody else of status. Hey brother, why don't you come to my house? I've got a big house, you've got a big house, I'll entertain you this week, you entertain me next week. You know, and let's, you know, who cares about the poor? This is not this is not Christianity. And and right when 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 it comes now to the Passover meal and the, the Lord's Supper, they bring the same selfish attitude into the Lord's Supper. And and Christ is saying, or Paul is saying, Christ is saying through Paul, you are despising the church of God. And that's where later he says, do not take the Passover in an unworthy manner. Not discerning the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. And just because someone's poor doesn't make them any less of the body than someone who's rich. And if you can't discern that, you're taking the Passover in unworthy manner. You despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Do you want me to praise you in this? I will not. I have nothing good to say about you. This is disgusting behavior. You're inhospitable. And it's immature. It's spiritual immaturity. Compare and contrast the church in Corinth with the church in Philippi. Where wherever Paul went, they were sending provisions for him, making sure that he was looked after. And he even wrote them and said, in the beginning of the Gospel, No church partnered with him except for the Philippians. They were the only congregation that really understood what they were a part of and were happy to contribute and contribute and look after the needs of the saints. In Acts 16, let's go to Acts 16. shows the founding of the church in Philippi. And you can see here, with the saint, the believer Lydia, her attitude. And go to verse 15. Acts 16, verse 15. When Lydia was baptized with her household, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this was a very wealthy woman, but this was her attitude. She was given to hospitality, and this is the found, she was the founding member in Philippi. And so in Corinth, you may have had some bigwigs who were part of the founding church, and their bigwig attitude was embedded then in the fabric of the church. But here you have Lydia, very wealthy woman, but she was given to hospitality, and it's that attitude that she had that became the fabric of the Philippine church. And that's what we want here, brethren. We want to have in our fabric brethren who are given to hospitality. Every week in Ottawa, I was going somewhere for dinner. I was a student, I was poor, and, and I was looked after. And I had nothing that I could give back. But they were just happy to have, To every week, someone were going somewhere. And it was such a beautiful experience. The, the congregation was so united. And we can have that here. And I think we do have it here We can be better. We can be better. The last thing we want to do is rest on our laurels and say, we're great. We can always be better. We have not yet attained the character of Christ. Acts 2, verse 44. Back to chapter 2. And again, we're just comparing and contrasting these congregations to Corinth. Corinth being an immature congregation and very selfish. And Philippians being very given. We saw the founding member Lydia was very given. And here in Acts 2.44 when the church was originally founded. Full of the Holy Spirit. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. They just shared. They were one purpose. One brethren. One people. And they sold their possessions and goods. And distributed them to all. As any had need. And day by day. Attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes. So it wasn't just that they attended services together. Yes, they came to services together. They expounded the word of God. They fellowshiped. But then after the service, they were in each other's homes. Breaking bread, having meals together.
1: With glad
0: and generous hearts. They understood what they were a part of. And they were so filled with gratitude. It was easy for them to give. And that's what we we need to understand what we're a part of. Where we're headed. The riches that are ahead of us. What we've been recruited into. And when we understand that, we will be generous. We will have glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. And you would love to be added to a congregation like this. Where the brethren love to be together. Where the truth of God is being expounded. Where they're getting together afterwards and breaking bread together and sharing and looking after one another. If you get added to a congregation like that, as I did when I came into the church, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful experience. What we don't want is to become a church like Corinth. And maybe a poor person comes in here and we don't care. We could we turn our backs. That's immaturity. Me. That means we don't understand. We think this life is what it's about. And we don't understand. Luke 24. Luke 24. I just want to read this passage and then bring out a couple of things to show how hospitable Jesus Christ was. His purpose was to train disciples. His purpose was to teach and to have people ready to institute the church. But here now in Luke 24, after he had died and was resurrected, verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Remember, he had been crucified. Now he has been raised. And while they're talking about all this thing, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Dropping down to verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So you can see here a spirit of hospitality. They could have, he's a stranger, they could have just let him go, but it's evening time. Maybe he might fall into harm. They constrained him. The same, way, the same way Lydia constrained Paul. And you're going to see this. That the people who are given to hospitality. I don't want to say that they forced their hospitality on you. But they are, they are serious. They are genuine. When they extend an invitation. They're not hoping that you'll say no. They're extending an invitation. And they really truly want you to be their guest. And so here they really wanted him to be their guest. They constrained him. Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, so now they're having a meal, he took the bread and blessed and broke it. And he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. So what does that say? That it's when they're at the meal, and it's the way that he broke the bread, the way that he prayed over it, the way that he shared it, that they recognize this is Christ. Obviously, they had many, many meals with him. And it's the way he eats, the way he shares, that that's what they recognized. The whole time he was talking to them, he went through Moses, all the prophets, talking to them for a long time, and they didn't know who he was. But when it was time to sit at the meal, which is something he obviously did with them often, that's when they recognized. And at the moment they recognized and looked at this, he vanished out of their sight. I mean, I'd, I'd love to spend time on that. That's another that's sermon. He now has that body we talked about, Soma uh, Numatakon, where it's a spiritual body. It's a numatic body. He just disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem And they found the eleven gathered together And those who were with them Who said, the Lord has risen indeed And has appeared to Simon And they told what had happened on the road And how he was known to them In the breaking of bread That's how the Lord was known to them So obviously the Lord was very hospitable This was not the first time they ever saw him do this in fact it was the recognized characteristic that god shares and it's the way that he did it that we did it that is the point the second point and we kind of covered and we touched on it here as well that if we understand hospitality we practice it with eagerness it's not a reluctant hospitality it's an eager hospitality and let's see an example of that way back in genesis genesis 18 This is the story of Abraham, our spiritual forefather, and notice the way, not just that he was hospitable, but notice the way in which he practiced his hospitality. Genesis 18 verse 1, these are some strangers that are going to appear to him. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So you know the summers we have here, when it's really hot. And you just feel lazy, you don't even want to get up, that kind of heat. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood in front of him, three strangers. When he saw them, he reluctantly got up. He dragged himself around. You know? He ran. He saw these strangers, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I fetch a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. The very fact that you've come to me, I'm going to look after you. You're on a long journey, you've come to me, you're now under my care, I'm going to look after you. And I'm enthusiastic to do this. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent. This is in the heat of the day. But this is hospitality. This is his opportunity for hospitality. He hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And then Abraham ran to the herd. This is urgent. He's in a hurry. Runs to the herd and took a calf, tender and good. Best calf. And gave it to the servant. Who hastened to prepare it. No doubt because Abraham told him. Prepare it quickly. Then he took curds and milk. And the calf which he had prepared. And set it before them. So all of this haste. And then he puts the meal before them. And he stood by them. Under the tree. While they ate. So it was very important to him. That he look after the needs. Of his guests. And this is our spiritual forefather. This is the sort of attitude we want to have toward our guests, toward hospitality, that we make haste. Looking after the needs of others is important to us. It's an opportunity that we don't want to miss. Look at Romans 16. Just one verse here, verse 23. Speaking of a man named Gaius, Paul says, "Gaius, who is host to me, very hospitable brother. Brother here, he's my host, not only my host, and to the whole church, he greets you." So here's a man that understood hospitality. Whenever Paul's coming through, he's Paul's host, but obviously he's a man of some means. He's the host of the whole church. This is the sort of attitude we want to bring to the church. That we don't differentiate. You know, one person is not higher in status than another. Oh, it's Paul. I'll be hospitable to Paul. But anybody else, oh well. Yeah. And I've actually seen that. I've seen where maybe I'm visiting a certain area uh, and they don't know who I am, so not much hospitable, hospitality. But then maybe they find out. Well, I'm connected, and then suddenly the hospitality comes out. I'm like, hmm, that's partial, you know. Uh, we want to make sure that our hospitality is to everybody, like Gaius here. You know, my my grandmother, when she was alive, she was in the UK. Uh, very rich in spirit, poor lady, rich in spirit. Lived in a very humble home. When I would visit her, I would spend the day with her, and throughout the day, the doorbell would ring, and her church brethren would just drop in. Her her place was the place to be. She was always baking and cooking, and there was always something delicious that she would have to share with them. And her her home was a hub. So she would go to church on Sunday, but during the week, her home was a hub. People would just would just gravitate to it, and and she was a she was a host to the whole church. And I think that that spirit of generosity is what we aspire to more so. And it's not hospitality just to eat. That's, that's not really... We, we would miss the point. If we think that, you know, let's have brethren over just to eat, just to satisfy their hunger, we would be missing the point. There's more to hospitality than that. Let's look at that in Luke 10. There is a bigger purpose. 10 and verse 38, a passage we're familiar with. Now it came to pass, as they went, that Christ entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. So she was, very, she was hospitable. She had him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away. There was a greater purpose. The Master was there to teach, and the, the food, the hospitality, enabled the opportunity. For brethren to be together and to learn from the master. But the food was not the point. The food enabled the point. And in the same way, when we get together, the food is not the point. You know? The house is not the point. The, 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 The table setting is not the point. All these things facilitate and enable. But the point is fellowship. Iron sharpening iron. Learning from one another. Building bonds, building relationships. This is the point. And we shouldn't lose sight of it and be so consumed that, oh, my house isn't spotless, I can't have anybody over today. The, the house being spotless is not the point. The point is building bonds. Hospitality is the glue that binds us together. And that's what we should be focused on. Look at Second John Again, just to see how hospitality advances God's will. Hospitality is not the point, it enables the point. Second John one, let's we'll read this passage together. The elder John unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And we love one another in the truth. And not only I, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake which dwells in us, and this is the theme here of this passage, the truth, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of your children walking in the truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. So we must walk in truth, and the commandment is that we love one another. This is what we're commanded to do. And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have brought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. So we're walking in this way of truth, but there's a risk. We could lose what we have wrought. And so we have to be careful that we are walking in the doctrine of Christ, and we're abiding in this doctrine, and when we're fellowshipping together, we're strengthening each other in this truth. And now notice verse 10. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your home. So hospitality is not for everybody. If somebody is a false teacher, and then back in this day, they didn't have westins and holiday inns everywhere, so the preachers, the teachers, depended very much on the hospitality of the brethren. So to go from city to city, you're looking for brethren that will open their homes to you. And that would be your base, and then you could teach from that base, and they would look after your needs, and then you go to the next city. So John is saying here... If a teacher comes and he doesn't bring truth, shut down hospitality. Do not allow him into your home. And they bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that bids him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So if we have a false, again, in the second, if a false teacher is coming in, and you know that his teachings are not in alignment with the Apostles, you don't provide any support. You're on your own buddy, you're on your own. You know? And it sounds harsh, but this is the command from the Apostle. Verse 12, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full, and again expecting the hospitality to be there. The children of the Alexis to greet you. Now go into third John, verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. I don't know if this is the same Gaius. I don't think so. But here again is another Gaius. Or, or Gaius that is very, very hospitable. He's, he's well-beloved. Whom I, John, love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And Gaius is a man that however much he prospers, he's going to share it with the brethren. What he has, he shares with the brethren. Verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, even as you walk in the truth. So as these brethren pass through this area, Gaius puts them up, he looks after them, and now they return to John and they bring a good report. They're able to say how much Gaius looked after them while they were there. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So hospitality is great, but it's in the context of truth. It enables us to learn the truth, to facilitate sharing the truth with one another. Beloved, speaking to Gaius, and again, he's just so loved, he's just so loved by John. You do faithfully whatever you do to the brethren and to strangers. Again, that love of strangers, hospitality. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it faithfully. And they have borne witness of your charity before the church. So this man was just so hospitable that his reputation, everybody who passes along goes and says how hospitable this man was and how helpful he was and that he's walking in the truth. When they fellowship with him, they talk about the truth. So when he when they return to John, they're able to talk about how supportive this man And how much he loves the truth. And so his reputation is spreading through the region. Which have borne witness of your charity before the church. Whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, you shall do well. So there are certain people that John is saying, don't invite them into your house. Don't give them any support whatsoever. And there are other people that he's saying to Gaius, great job. Wonderful! They're coming to me, they're telling me how hospitable you were, how you've helped them. And then he says, here, they've borne witness of your charity before the church, whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly sword, you shall do well. So even when they're leaving him, he's giving them packages to say, you know, it's going to take you a few hours to get to the next city. Take this, that's your lunch and your, your dinner, and so by the time you get there, they can then look after you from there. So very, very hospitable. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And that's the point that I wanted to bring up here. That being hospitable enables us to be fellow helpers to the truth. It's about the truth. It's about the truth. And we are brethren in the truth. And we're walking in the truth. And we're going to be hospitable to each other, to enable each other, and to help each other. And now notice verse 9. The exact opposite. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, receives us not. So he's completely inhospitable to the truth. So the same way that John is saying, don't receive a false teacher, Diotrephes is blocking the brethren from receiving John and the teachers of truth. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he does, preaching against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither does he himself receive the brethren, and forbids them that would, and cast them out of the church. So you can only imagine what kind of congregation this must have been, headed by this man, Diotrephes, who was clearly on an ego trip, trying to control the brethren, preventing them from receiving any of the true brethren, any of the true teachers, and even John, he was, was not welcome by him. And then <laughs> prating against them with malicious words. So when Diotrephes does get together with anybody, he's full of gossip, he's full of slander, he's full of uh, malicious words against the true brethren. So he's, he's, he's turning the people of God against the true teachers. This is not our way. So when we come together, it's to talk about the truth. Not to slander, not to malign, not to assassinate people's characters, as Diotrephes was doing. The next thing I want to look at before we wrap up is just how, when we are hospitable, so we are hospitable, we're advancing God's will, but when we are hospitable, the blessing comes back to us. So we are blessing others with our hospitality, but in the process, the blessing comes back to us. And it's just, I heard somebody say to me when I was in the church very early on, we can't outgive God. We can't outgive God. God owns everything. And when he sees us blessing others, he blesses us more so that we can continue. To, we, we become a conduit for blessing. And when God realized, that's like um, John, when he says to Gaius, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Why? Because you're a blessing to all the church. And anybody who passes through here, you're a blessing to them. So I pray that you will prosper and be in health. Proverbs 11. Look at this. And I'll ask our young people to look at this as well. It's sort of a a mystery that people in this world don't understand. And it's just it's God's invisible hand. Proverbs 11. 24. How do you explain this? There is that scatterer. In other words, somebody who's just very generous. They just just share. And yet, they increase. They'll give you the shirt off their back. And they show up the next week and they have ten new shirts. Designer shirts. How did that happen? It's God's invisible hand. There is that scatterer, and yet he increases. And There's the opposite. There's the one that withholds more than his meat, just thinking of himself, but it tends to poverty. It's hard. How do you explain this? There's somebody that's trying to hold on to things to accumulate wealth, being selfish, and as he holds on to those things, their value diminishes, becomes nothing. And there's somebody else who's happy to share, gives everything away, and yet he grows in wealth. You can only explain this by God's invisible hand. The liberal soul shall be made fat. The generous person shall be made fat. That's no excuse to put on weight. but That's what God said. If we're liberal, we'll be made fat. And he that waters, and this is, the, this is what we saw with Gaius, He that waters shall be watered also himself. I don't have to look after myself. I'll look after you. God will look after me. If I water, God will water me. That's the principle that we have to understand. Look at Genesis 24. Speaking of watering. So let's see how this works. So If you're going to water somebody, you'll be watered yourself. Again, to our young people, this is a young lady, her name was Rebecca. young lady, and you're going to see her water others, and she'll be watered herself, beginning in verse 15. It came to pass, before he had done speaking, this is uh, Abraham's servant, Eleazar, who was sent out to find a wife for Abraham's son Isaac, and it came to pass, before he had done speaking, he was praying that, behold... Rebecca came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, and her pitcher upon her shoulder. So she's going to get water, and the damsel was very pretty, she's a beautiful woman. A virgin, neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. So she's looking after her family, looking after her family's needs. She's gone to get some water. She's taking the water back home. The servant ran to meet her and said, Excuse me, may I drink a little of your water from your pitcher? So she could easily say, You know, the, the well's over there. Right? I'm sorry. I don't talk to strangers. I'm off. But she saw he's thirsty. She said, Drink, my lord. A, a beautiful woman. You think she would say, too beautiful to talk to you. Right? <laughs> She's not wrapped up in her beauty. And a lot of young women who are nice to look at, they spend a lot of time in the mirror looking at themselves. But Rebecca wasn't like this. She said, drink my lord. And she hurried and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him to drink. And when she had done giving him water, she said, you know what? Your your camels must be thirsty as well. So she she looks after him and she looks at the camels and says, They must be thirsty as well. I'll get water for them also. So, someone who can think of the needs of others. And again, today you see a lot of young ladies wrapped up in themselves. Can't see anybody else except themselves. Here's somebody that can see others, even the animals. I will draw water for your camels also until they have done drinking. And I understand that camels drink a lot, so this is hard work. Just keep drawing water until they're finished. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher, so she hurried, again the same attitude as Abraham, she hurried and emptied her pitcher into the trough, and ran again to the well to draw water. So she's really consumed with the needs of others, not with herself. She ran again to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels, And the man, wondering at her, held his peace, to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, finally, that the man took a golden earring of a half-shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. So she watered, and now she's being watered. And she's about to become one of the wealthiest women in the region. All because she had the character, to look after the needs of others. She could have easily said, I'm sorry, I'm busy. And he said, Whose daughter are you? And is there room in your father's house for us to lodge in? You know, we we have a need here. And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bore to Nahor. And she said moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough. Absolutely we have place. Our our home is your home, and room to lodges. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. This is the lady. This is the lady for Isaac. She's completely consumed with serving others and helping others, not with herself. And this is, again, he who waters himself shall be watered. And again, for our young people, this is the character we want to develop. Where we look after others. We serve others. And we trust that God will look after us. This is, this is the way we want to be. Let's see another example of this in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 4. Kings 4 and verse 8, and it fell on the day that Elisha passed Shunem, where was a great woman, so again like Lydia, a very wealthy woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. Again, when people are generous, they're serious about their generosity. And she constrained him to stop and eat with her. And so it was, that as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat. So it became a habit now, that whenever he was passing through the region, he would stay with her, and eat with her. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let's be hospitable and support the work of God. Let us make a little chamber, let's make a little room, I pray you, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, a table, a stool, and a candlestick. there's a place that he can sleep and study. And then he'll eat with her at her table. And it shall be, when he comes to us, that he shall turn in there. And it fell on the day that he came there, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And so as he's laying there, he's reflecting. And he turns to his servant, and he says, Call this Shunammite, And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to to his servant, say now to her, perhaps that he has to translate, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care, you've really watered us, you've really looked after us, very, very careful, what can we do for you? Would you be spoken of to the king, or to the captain of the host?" Well, what would you like me to do? I'll I'll put in a good word to the king for you. And she answered, I dwell among my own people. I'm looked after. This is my family. I dwell with my own people. I don't need anything. And he said, What then is to be done for her? He was determined to do something for her. And Gehazi, his servant, answered, did a bit of research, She has no child, and her husband is old. And so the blessing that Elisha pronounced on her, she was able to have a child. Again, that principle that he who waters will himself be watered. She gave, she looked after this man, blessed him, and he lay in the bed and he thought, I've got to do something for this woman. And she had no children. And so she was blessed then to have a child. You're all familiar with 2 Corinthians 9 where he says, He that sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he which sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. So this was a message in Corinthians that Paul was trying to get through to the Corinthians who were very selfish and very divisive. And he's trying to train them and teach them that we are a body. That we need to look after each other. And not sparingly, wholeheartedly. And as we water others, God will water us. Brethren, I just wanted to go through the scriptures and show some examples of hospitality and show that it's something that must be done in a wholehearted manner. It's something that advances the work of God. And we are blessed when we we participate in hospitality. Just four practical things I think we can do to enhance our hospitality. And I, I truly say this is a wonderful congregation. We're still a young congregation. It's a beautiful congregation. We can still be better. We can always be better. So, what I, what I would ask you is, every single one of us, children, adults, male, female, young, old, every single one of us, ask ourselves, what's one thing we can do? Just one thing. And actually do it to become more hospitable. How, how can we be more hospitable? I just have a couple of ideas, but you might have your own and we can share with each other what we might do. One is, we've talked about, and we will start soon, uh, small uh, small groups in the week. So sermon-based small group. So on Tuesday night or Wednesday evening, we will have a small group and we will discuss the sermon that week. And it's an opportunity for us to fellowship outside of services. Maybe you could be a host for a small group. So you know, it needs to geographically make sense. Maybe we need a host in Kitchener, a host here in Burlington, maybe somebody closer to Oakville. Just depending on who's around you. Maybe you could be a host. That would be one way of being hospitable and again advancing the work of God. We could make a list of all the brethren in the congregation and just say, within the year, I'm going to make sure that I have everybody into my home. That's an easy thing that we could do. And, and give ourselves a year. would only become difficult if God suddenly swells our ranks, but as long as we're a small congregation now, that's an easy thing for us to do. And sometimes, you know, it's nice to have lots of brethren over at once. Sometimes it's nice just to have one or two, and just a small number, and really get to know each other. And some some brethren are better one-on-one than they are in a big crowd. And then finally, It goes both ways. We want to host, we want to be hospitable. But I think also when we are guests, be a gracious guest. In in ancient times there was this code of hospitality. And when people came into your region, you looked after them. And it kind of explains how Lot behaved the way that he did uh, with his daughters. Because people came under his protection. So the host had certain obligations. But the guest also had obligations. And one of the obligations I understand in uh, ancient Palestine was the guest never insults the host. You would never come to someone's home and insult them. And we just, we, we need to be gracious guests. So hopefully that goes without that. Uh Two scriptures and then we'll wrap up. One is in Isaiah 25. And just to show the ultimate hospitality that we will all enjoy. And that we will be a part of hosting. Isaiah 25. <coughs> Isaiah 25 and verse 6. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. So talk about a lover of strangers. This is not just for this is not a, a feast for some people. This is a feast for all people, and we will co-host this feast. So we are we are in training now for hospitality, so that we can co-host this feast. The Lord will make for all peoples a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the leaves, of fat things full of marrow. So there's going to be great meats and drinks, and it's just going to be a okay party. This is going to be a real party for for the whole world. And we will co-host this. Wine on the leaves well refined. And he will destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. So it's just like when they were with Christ, and and as he ate, the covering was removed. And they recognized him. When we have this feast with the world, they will recognize us. And they will recognize Christ. And they they will recognize what they're a part of. The veil that is spread over all nations is going to be removed. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Everybody will be happy. The world will be full of joy. This is what we will be called. And the reproach of the people, of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. So this is the ultimate feast, the ultimate opportunity to be hospitable. And we will co-host this. Let's conclude, brethren, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. goes kind of slowly. But when it's all over, we're going to realize how fast the time went. So not long now, Christ will return. We will co-host this feast. And all of the suffering in this life will be history. We'll have our new bodies, spirit bodies. We will manifest as human beings and fellowship with human beings. And then we can just disappear just the way Christ did. Not long now. 1 Peter 4 verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. It's here now. It's almost over. Be you therefore sober. And watch unto prayer. Spend time with God. And above all things. This is, this is it now. We, we have our commands. We have our way of living. Here the Apostle Peter is saying. Above everything else. This is one thing we must do. Have fervent charity among yourselves. And again, it's like when I came into this Ottawa congregation, I just walked into it. And they had fervent charity amongst themselves. And that's what I walked into. And it was a beautiful experience. And it helped me stabilize in the church. And this is what he's saying to us now. Above all things. So there's many things that we have to do. Our highest priority is to have fervent charity. Do good unto all men but especially those of the household of faith. Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality. Use it. It's not the end. It's a means to an end. So use it, one to another, without grudging. And I realize sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes you knock yourself out And people don't even say thank you. They come, they eat, and they leave. And you might think, ah, do it without grudging. Because hospitality on hospitality on hospitality, we're building something. Hospitality is the glue that binds us together. So above all things, let's have fervent charity. And let's figure out ways that we can just be a little bit more hospitable than even we are now. So let's do our part, and let's grow into a truly loving, and hospitable congregation.